maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on wearing hats when getting treatment, a fork or spoon with scrambled eggs, the case of the missing gift, and how long to wear black when you're in mourning. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on our newest book. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about diaper disasters. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And today I am very, very excited to announce the newest book to the Emily Post collection. However, before we do so, we wanted to respect and show consideration and a little bit of honesty to our uh, audience by saying that this content that we're going to cover during the intro and the postscript segments of today's show definitely has adult themes. And while it is based in consideration, respect, and honesty, it's a little unexpected. And uh, we wanted to give parents who listen with their kids a chance to screen the content first before sharing these parts of the show with their kids. So again, we will only be discussing it in the intro right now and in the postscript segment. The questions, feedback, and salute are all going to be all ages friendly. Lizzie Post, I have been excited to get to this show for quite a while. And I'm really curious to just in some ways say, take us away, tell us all about what you've been up to. So for the past two years, you've heard me talk a lot about research trips and exciting things to come for the Emily Post Institute. And I am so thrilled to finally announce that our newest book is titled Higher Etiquette, A Guide to the World of Cannabis from Dispensaries to Dinner Parties. Cannabis, for those of you that may not be familiar, is the proper and scientific term for what is often called pot, weed, or marijuana. And you will hear us choose to use the word cannabis when referring to it. This is definitely an unexpected topic for Emily Post. It it was a very exciting topic for us to get to choose to go into. I am... Looking forward to our postscript segment, which we're going to conduct as a little bit of an interview where I get to ask you some questions. (laughs) And I am hoping to probe a little bit deeper into some of those questions, some of those themes, because it's an interesting story from my perspective. And I I really want to hear you talking about it more. So more to come in our postscript where I play the role of interested interviewer and interview Lizzie Post. But that's just a teaser. I want to hear a little bit more right now about how we ended up here, how you ended up here, and some of your thoughts about this topic. Absolutely. So this was one of those books where when Dan was dealing with a family emergency, I answered an email that came into us that said, I know a publisher who's looking for an author to be able to talk about uh, cannabis etiquette. And sure enough, it's something that we at the Emily Post Institute have not shied away from. We've gotten questions actually from our awesome etiquette audience about it in the past. And I was really happy to be able to say, hey, we at the Emily Post Institute would be interested in engaging with this topic and, and you know, seeing what type of book this publisher would like to produce. I know the publisher is really excited about this particular title. They have 
invested in it in ways that we haven't seen from a publisher about an etiquette book in years, it's which is true. part of my excitement <laughs> about it. Really, It's true. It's true. We're working with 10 Speed Press on this book, and we, we couldn't be more proud and excited and grateful for that relationship. But I was really pleased that when I ventured the topic to our family and our, our Emily Post board of directors, it was a unanimous support for moving forward with the project. Everyone in the family believes that, just like I do and like Dan does, that this is a topic that's affecting millions, especially as more states legalize cannabis. Um, whether you consume cannabis or not, you are faced with social issues around it. What do you do when someone brings it to your house? What do you do when a friend chooses to let you know that they consume cannabis and it's not something you're a fan of? What do you do if you're kind of curious, as we say, and you're saying, well, you know, I'm hearing all about this. They say the world of cannabis has changed. What does that mean? And so we really wanted to write a book that both honored cannabis culture as it has been and found a way to understand the social side of it as it's legalized and you're interacting with people both consuming and non-consuming and wanting those interactions to all be positive and non-judgmental in both directions. So it's why I say that this book truly is based in our classic principles of consideration, respect, and honesty. But it's also a really fun celebration of a culture that I found and have, have known to be completely generous and kind and supportive in so many ways of a lot of little etiquettes. And so it's it's really it was it was a delicious dive. It was when it comes to research, you know, so much of the the topic so many, excuse me, of the topic areas that Dan and I explore come from places of negativity and problem. And ugh, you know, the people are doing this online and people use their cell phones this way and at work this is all the negative bad things we're seeing. How do we solve it? And when I jumped into the research for the Cannabis Etiquette book, I found that the themes of sharing and generosity and respect and consideration were so prevalent and people jumped so quickly to let me meet you where you're at. Let me understand your perspective because I'm okay with my perspective and I don't need to try to change you in order for you to be okay or for me to be okay. And my goodness, it was just a huge dose of positivity um, everywhere I went. So it was it was really exciting. When I was driving into the studio this morning, I was listening to the radio as I often do on that relatively long commute. And one of the topics that came up was legalization. Yeah. And the person conducting the show was talking about how this was one of the biggest social changes America had faced in the last 30 years yeah. and that the change was coming so rapidly that it was something that they didn't anticipate stopping anytime soon and that they were acknowledging was just a big deal culturally broadly across the country. And we've tackled etiquette topic books for years whenever yeah. we've been faced with major social change. And from that perspective, I was also really excited that we took a chance and looked at something that that really is affecting a lot of people. So I've got to ask, and I know I get to ask all the questions I'm dying to ask in our postscript, <laughs> but talk to me about how you think Emily Post would 
talk to you about this subject. If she were sitting here with right? us today, your great-great-grandmother, <laughs> what is she saying? What is she thinking? I think of both my great-great-grandmother and our grandmother because both of them were such uh, prominent women who wrote on etiquette and, and are no longer with us. I do not think either is rolling over in their grave over this one. Emily actually fought very hard against uh, prohibition during her time. And she believed that it was a citizen's right to choose how they engage with alcohol at the time. She grew up in an era where cannabis was legal and often used in tincture form to relieve all kinds of ailments. And so whether or not she consumed it, we have no idea. I know she was not a fan of smoking. She thought it was a, a filthy habit. So I don't think think combusting cannabis is something she would be advocating. But cannabis comes in so many forms and can be used in so many ways. I don't think it's something that we would see her frowning upon. And she was a big proponent of if things are affecting us as a culture, as a society, we want to talk about them. She was also famous for claiming whether it was true or not, depending on whether or not you believe her. And I tend to because so much of her focus was about honesty, that alcohol had never crossed her lips. Right. She was, while not a fan of prohibition, was sort of famously abstemious herself. Yes. I cannot make that claim myself, and I'm I'm fine bringing that to the world. But she was, and I also felt like when I look back at uh, Mud, Elizabeth's books, um, that in the 80s, in entertaining, Elizabeth wrote about how It was really a host's choice whether or not they allowed something like cannabis to be consumed at their home and and at one of their events, that it was their liability that they would be taking on should anything happen while it's being consumed on their property. And so... I really appreciated the fact that I had both of these women to kind of look back to a little bit and not get a a positive yes or no directly, but at least they were subjects of prohibition, subjects of consumption that that both of them had addressed at various points. So I think there is no rolling over in graves going on at this point in time. I couldn't resist. I know that was a little bit of a jump ahead. It's okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. There's definitely more to come in our postscript about what's in the book. And I know you're also going to share with us a conversation you had with one of our listeners that was really helpful for you along the way. I can't wait to hear more. But we also have a show to do. Yes, we do. We have etiquette questions to get to. (laughs) Let's do it. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved ones' stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, we would love to hear from you. Please remember to put sustaining member in your message. Our first question is titled, There is but one answer here. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, I have truly enjoyed your podcast and listened to it from the beginning. I enjoy the repartee and all the sample scripts. For the record, I love handwritten thank you notes, shoes on for my guests in my house, and kindness everywhere. Oh, you're my kind of person. I always wanted to find a good question for you to write in, but this was not what I was hoping for. Last month, I was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer. As my family and I were living overseas the past decade, my husband, twin one-year-olds, and I were medically evacuated back to the United States to begin treatment. In the next few days, I will begin losing my hair, and herein lies my question. I've ordered some head coverings, but can I wear them when out to dinner? We are currently living in a hotel with no family or friends nearby, so we eat out a couple of times per week. I want to model appropriate behavior for the children, but I also think fellow patrons, as well as myself, might not feel comfortable with my bald head. But I question myself, because a balding male might not be comfortable with his situation and wouldn't wear a hat to dinner. Our 16th wedding anniversary is in a couple weeks, and I would like to celebrate with a night out, but don't want to do the wrong thing. For the record, I'm not planning to purchase a wig. Thank you for considering my question. Sincerely, Erica, with a cancer conundrum. Always love your alliteration. Erica, I am very pleased to tell you there is only one answer to this question, and it is that you should do what makes you feel comfortable. There is nothing wrong, strange, odd, unsightly, unappealing about a person dining with a bald head. There would be nothing inappropriate about you, given your circumstances, choosing to wear any kind of head covering that you feel most confident wearing. Um, you're, you're in a situation that I think really supersedes a lot of social customs, but truly, 
it matters not that you are female and and that you are losing your hair. It is not something that other people are even going to flinch at, I think. I don't think it's it's something that's going to be unappealing to the diners around you. And I think that whatever it is that gives you the confidence and the comfort that you need at this stage in life is what is going to be most important and to, to be your guiding principle right now. I couldn't second that any more strongly. I will mention that in the 19th and 18th and 17th edition yep. of Emily Post Etiquette, when we talk about hats and etiquette around hats and standards for where and when you wear hats, we specifically mention this topic. It is in those books and there is an acknowledgement of this special case. And this is a a cultural tradition that is very strong, that you take your hat off at meals. And I certainly understand your reflection on that expectation, your desire to set standards and establish norms for your children and your family that are ones that matter to you. And within the context of that very strong tradition, this is something that people are aware of and allowances have been made for for many, many years. Absolutely. Erica, we want to thank you so much for asking this question, and we want to offer you all of the love and support and encouragement that we can as you go through this journey, both on your own and with your family and friends. We hope that you are surrounded by immense levels of support and consideration, respect, and honesty. I really love our next question. It's It goes down as one of the shortest questions we've ever received, and I'm thinking it might spur a new segment on the show. It is titled Fork or Spoon, and I think we could add fork, spoon, or hand to a potential future segment. The question is, should scrambled eggs be eaten with a fork or a spoon? Okay, so you say this is a simple question, and... The answer is going to get a little bit longer because I can't think about the answer to this question and not think about sitting with Lizzie Post at our favorite Thai restaurant where I was eating my fried rice with a spoon. I know. And Lizzie Bo said to me, it is so weird that you eat that with a spoon. It was. I totally, being the comfort of cousins, I was able to just tease my cousin and say, it's just so strange to me to see you eating something that I've often seen you eat with a fork with a spoon. But you now, you have been eating eating fried rice with a spoon for quite a long time now, right? And I hadn't thought of it as something strange. Oftentimes I eat fried rice with chopsticks. Right. And this particular occasion... I think I was maybe just really hungry. So you wanted the the, the more. <laughs> the and I, I started to really think about how it made me look hungry <laughs> and how it might seem to other people. It was one of those aha eye opening moments for me where I started to say to myself, if there is something on your plate that you're going to eat with Western utensils, fork, spoon or knife, and there's an option about fork or spoon that. To many people, I think the fork seems like the more natural, normal choice. Even and- though it's not always the most practical, because when I'm thinking of things like 
fried rice. And when I'm thinking of something like scrambled eggs, where how many times have I been eating both these dishes and been so annoyed when the, when like most of the biteful falls off my fork and I'm thinking there just has to be a better way. And of course, many other cultures have a better way. It's called the spoon and they use it and it's a smart choice, but it still looks for some reason different to my American Western eyes and, and, and experiences. Spoons are for soups or for liquids. Quiz. Cereal. I mean, it's it, it gets dicey. It's it's a fast. It's kind of like when I see ice cream, you know, with pie, and you're eating ice cream with a fork, and you can make it work, but it's it doesn't feel quite right. But the spoon makes more sense to me with the fried rice or the scrambled egg because of the nature of those items to fall apart. So there's this like. There's this logic base to it that makes me say, spoons are so smart. And then there's this, like, traditional, I don't know what, old school view of it that's like, but forks are really the right choice here. I I don't know. I don't know how to answer this question, D. I don't know. <laughs> Just because this is something I ended up reflecting on myself and switched. I started saying to myself, when I've got both in front of me and I'm eating on a plate, I'm going to pick up the fork. So I, I feel tend like to I've go that direction, you or something, or shamed you into fork usage. Quite the opposite, okay. actually. I appreciated the comment. And Are you serious? You really as, did. As someone who spends a lot of time thinking about table manners, <laughs> I, this was one of those aha moments for me. And I also want to acknowledge that this is something that is relatively new to me, considering I've been teaching and writing about etiquette for ten years now, yeah. and I understand where this question's coming from. From the perspective of thinking about how the people around you might be seeing you, whether or not you realize it or are even thinking about it, I lean towards fork. If it's not in a bowl, if it's on a plate, if you've got an option for either, if they could both work, I'm going to lean fork. But I'm not going to say that you're in terrible etiquette territory if you make the other choice. You're more 50-50? No, I'm thinking more about this other really large fork usage debate that Dan and I get into heated arguments over that I'm thinking we might have to expose it on the show at some point in all of its heated glory because it you are being so reflective right now and it's making me wonder how reflective I need to be about our other large debate when it comes to the use of forks. That's a major teaser for another time. To be continued. (laughs) To be continued. Fork or spoon, we say, the choice is yours. Maybe you think about the time and place in which you make your choice. Apparently the guests are waiting for Betty to pick up her spoon before they begin. Betty wishes she were as certain of that point as she is of how her knife should be placed. Our next question is about the case of the missing gift. Hello, Dan and Lizzie. I'm a newlywed from October and was looking through my thank you note list along with our online registry to make sure I wasn't missing anyone and I found something terrible. A gift that someone purchased for us in August never arrived. The couple who sent the gift are family friends and attended the wedding, but are not close enough that I could call them up. What should I do? Do I contact them directly via email or my handwritten thank you note to let them know we never received it? Do I contact the company, BB&B, and try to get the gift and write my thank you note as if we received the gift? I want to do something because they were charged for this gift and wanted us to have it. I feel bad due to the length of time that it took me to notice. How do I navigate this? Megan. 
P.S. I love the show and have been listening since Dan got married. It has truly helped me be a more considerate person in how I respond to others and navigate the tricky etiquette situations life throws me. Megan, thank you so much for writing in because this this is a funky little conundrum, you know. It's like the guests did everything that they could and it's a hard thing to notice what's missing. So yeah. I don't want you to feel bad about the fact that it's it's taken, you know, five or six months for you to notice that it's missing. And we're still in the the frame of time that I think it's perfectly acceptable to address the issue. And I, I, I do think you should. So I've got kind of like a, a, a plan of action for you. Those right? are my favorite. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Anytime we have really direct advice, it's great. First, call the company. See if you can get the gift located. See if you can find any tracking information from it being delivered by contacting the company so that they're at least aware that this gift never actually arrived. They are responsible for the shipping, from what I understand. And so it's it's worth starting there. Starting there is also going to give you the the backstory that I think you're going to need when you do the next step, which is I think you do want to contact this couple. They came to your wedding. They clearly gave a gift. You didn't receive it, which, yes, makes it awkward, but you want to be able to close that that social etiquette about giving and receiving and exchange. So your next step is that I think you should actually get the giver's contact information to get in touch with them. I think it's going to be easier to explain over the phone. Even just sending them an email to let them know you'd like to have a phone conversation with them. Um, You might say that you've realized a dreadful error and you wanted to discuss it over the phone since in person probably isn't possible. This allows them to understand the nature of the phone call since you aren't in touch with them on a regular basis. I think it'll it'll kind of prime the conversation a bit. Next, because you have all this information from the company as to what happened to the actual gift, keep your focus on wanting to extend your gratitude to the couple for having given you a gift and your regret that the gift because of and then XYZ circumstances didn't actually arrive on your doorstep. Do not try to get into how would you like to try to rectify this situation. Allow the couple to bring that up should they choose. They know their budget. They know what they're going to be able to do. They know if they're going to need to replace it with an item of lesser value because of their budget or whether they're going to be able to replace it altogether or whether the company is going to refund them and replace the gift. But at least you've gotten the conversation going and you've expressed that you understand that they had actually given you a gift and you are just so sorry that because of mailing systems, registry systems, whatever it is, it didn't land on your doorstep but you thought it was such a generous gift, such a kind gift, such a thoughtful gift. It's precisely because so many different things may have happened. You just don't know what occurred between A and B. Someone might have run off with the package. It might be something much more innocent than that. Sometimes a, a package notice is left and those blow away oh, or gosh, end yes. up in the snowbank. And you don't know, but it's sitting at a FedEx office waiting for you to come get it and they feel like they've notified you. There is a range of things that could have happened here and just figuring out if that range of possibilities might be closer to you might allow you just to correct it. Like you say, it also gives you a little more information if it really isn't something that you can get corrected. I'm so curious about how you initially knew that this gift had been purchased 
ordered and sent, that that also might be the point of entry into the discussion. Right. That, the registry system probably showed because that you do get a get a, a feedback on when things have been purchased from your registry. So if it was purchased, they know it's purchased, but it didn't arrive to us. So what do we do? And if it's that, you can just mention that as your point of entry. Yep. If someone let you know to expect it, that person's reference might be the, the good point of entry. It lets you just bring it up in a way that's natural because that's how you heard. So you're just following up on that because you never saw it. Megan, thank you so much for this question. We hope this situation is rectified and that the gift makes it to you in the end. Congratulations on your October wedding. How do you go about being thoughtful? What do you do? Every time I try, I only make things worse. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? Our next question is titled, How Long to Wear Black? Hello, my mother is nearing the end of her hospice care, and I'm curious as to how long I should wear black in mourning, and also in what capacity, full outfit, just armband? I've exhausted myself trying to find answers on Google. All of the answers I've found are simply, it's up to you. Which I understand. I'd just really like to know what the conventions are for a son's mourning apparent. I figure if anyone would know the answer to this, it's Emily Post. Any advice would be very much appreciated. Thank you, Anonymous. Anonymous, I fear that we, w- we will find a historical answer for you, but the trouble is that nowadays it really is up to you. You may feel like wearing somber tones for quite some time, while others may want to be sure to be wearing colorful clothing to help their mood. We don't use black as a symbol of of funeral and mourning the way that we did. It's not the same social signal that it had been in the past. And it's why the answer that you keep finding is it's up to you for a modern situation. When we look back in the day, often it was a cue that this person should be respected and and cared for in a certain way. Unfortunately, because black has become such a fashion statement, it's no longer that cue to others. So even if you choose to dress in a in a black suit or or if you chose to wear a black shirt and black trousers every day, it's not necessarily going to signal to other people that you are in mourning. I actually quite like your idea of the armband, which might be because it's not an accessory someone would wear every day, more of a signal to others. But because it's not a signal they'll be familiar with um, in our modern day, it's it's not going to give you the social treatment that it used to when you would wear black to signal that you were in mourning. The more formal traditions of the past had people wearing black for as long as a year, but it was really up to someone how Even long back then? they uh, how how quickly they stopped the process wow. or continued it. But okay, that's good to know. <laughs> and there were different expectations in different cultures and different religious traditions. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, the the more concrete durations of time were that before you changed a title, for example, if you were a junior who was no longer going to be a junior, Ah. uh, that happened after the funeral. So relatively quickly. But the the tradition of wearing black varied depending on, on even where you were in the country as well as what religion you practice. The other thing that I would mention as part of those formal traditions is that oftentimes people 
didn't attend more festive gatherings or events that right. that even included weddings. And we just don't expect people to forego those the way they used to when people were communicating that they were still in mourning. In fact, we often encourage people to get out and to celebrate life that is happening because it, it can help through that mourning process. And the whole idea of there being a stigma associated with attending those events if you were still grieving has really gone away. So it's 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 not that you shouldn't participate, even though that was something that was more traditional in Emily's day. Anonymous, we hope that this helps and we want to offer you a lot of love and support and comfort during this time as as your mom is going through hospice care. And we really hope that you and your family find comfort in each other and support in each other and in your greater social circle at this time. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook where we're at emilypostinst and awesomeetiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Hillary with two pieces of feedback regarding bridesmaids. And we covered bridesmaids on two different shows and Hillary's going to respond to questions from both shows with some really excellent sample language. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love listening to the podcast. I have some feedback from episode 230 where the bridesmaid was asking about wearing one dress to two weddings. And I think that y'all gave great advice and a great answer to that. But I wanted to underscore the communication with the bride, just both brides. Make sure that the bridesmaid sends a text or an email with a link. Here's the dress I found. I think it meets all the requirements you asked of us. It's great because I can also wear it to another wedding this year. Let me know what you think. And then boom, the bride knows that the bridesmaid may wear it to another wedding and she gets to sign off and make sure it's the vision she had for her wedding. My grandmother, um, I got married in 2018 and so did another of my cousins. And so before our wedding, we talked about what would be a good color to suit both of our weddings. And we asked my Grammy to get a dress in a certain color palette that would suit both my wedding and my cousin's wedding because there's no need for her to buy two expensive dresses. But we talked about it beforehand. So that was definitely the key uh, between my cousin and myself and our grandmother. And then thirdly, uh, a comment Back a few episodes ago, there was a bride who called in about her um, stepmother or her father's girlfriend being more significantly involved in the wedding, and she found a dress that was not in navy, and she wanted everyone in navy, the bridesmaids, the moms, the grandmas, everybody. So I, again, would, as the bride, just reiterate, oh, my gosh, I have this lovely vision for a navy wedding and all the photos. I'm so thrilled that you are involved in the wedding and that you're going to be in so many photos with us. I'm so excited about it. Is there any way that you already have a navy dress? Or could we go shopping together for something in navy? I just think it would look so beautiful. 
that way you keep it positive, but you let her know that you really want everyone in Navy. So I hope that this is good advice from a recent bride who, bride, yes, you can ask, be positive, be encouraging, um, be a little flexible. I was happy to have my grandmother re-wear her dress in the same summer to myself and my cousin's wedding. It's just not that big of a deal, right? You can ask, but be realistic about what you're asking for. So anyway, thanks so much for the podcast. See you later. What I love about Hillary's sample language is her tone. It's so in how you deliver it. And when I'm listening to Hillary's message, I'm hearing someone who is positive. She's happy about being a bride or she's happy about being a bridesmaid. And she's just putting that enthusiasm into it. It's going to be very hard for someone to meet that in a negative way. And I think that it's 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 not that you want to force people to meet you in a positive way, but I think that Hillary is doing this in a way where the tone is really bringing us to this positive place. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Hillary, both your thoughts and your voice. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please, please, please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's postscript is, once again, I want to remind you, one that addresses some potentially adult themes. So if you didn't listen to the intro of the show, we want to give parents who might be listening right now the opportunity to give a little listen before you share this with your children. This is a postscript that we talked about months and months ago because I get to play a little bit of a character here. I get to (laughs) play the role of someone interviewing someone from the Emily Post Institute. And this is a a process I'm often sitting on the other side of the table of. (laughs) And it's fun to put on this other hat and to get to interrogate my cousin Lizzie Post just a little bit about her (laughs) thoughts. (laughs) Well, that's oftentimes how it feels, right? When you're in an interview answering questions. Some interviews do feel that way. That's true. This this one, I I feel like you're going to make me feel. Welcome. (laughs) Well, let's take interrogate in the broadest sense of the words. I I really want to investigate this topic. Yes. We talked a little bit about where this book came from in our introduction. Mm -hmm. So I want to use our valuable time to start to get into what's in this book. And I really want to ask you, how did you approach this topic? If you were to describe this book to me in terms of the themes that it covers, Mm -hmm. what are you going to say? So I really wanted to start the book by connecting cannabis and etiquette. And and why do these two work together? Why why do we find etiquette within the cannabis community? And so that's really the introduction to the book. Um, and then I looked at it a lot like our other books and our other topics. I said, okay, so Who's involved and how are they affected by this? Where are the places where people are going to connect over cannabis? Where are the places where they might even clash over cannabis? And how are we going to explore those spaces? And so when we started looking at at that, I said, well, you know, this is a great subject for thinking about yourself and your own views. So one of the chapters is titled Cannabis and You. And Dan and I really love this particular chapter because it asks you to be self-reflective and to think about where you're at and taking that moment to think. We always start in our business etiquette seminars with the first step of think before you act. 
when you know where you stand, when you know your viewpoints, where you know why cannabis is or isn't something that you want a part of your life, you are going to be able to confidently communicate that to other people. And so Cannabis and You was kind of one of the first places we started. And then we say, okay, so then it jumps into Cannabis and Others. And we started looking into the ways in which you might interact with other people and cannabis might be a moment in that interaction. And so we looked at the spaces that we live in. Uh, We looked at very traditional host guest roles, which was an incredibly fun chapter to write. And then we looked more broadly broadly at Cannabis About Town and out in your community, whether it's a dispensary store or it's a yoga class that incorporates cannabis or it's a lit on literature class which incorporates it. There are tons of activities. People go on cannabis vacations. Uh, They travel to states where it's legalized specifically to experience it. What about cannabis at weddings? Cannabis at weddings. I surprised the heck out of the publisher with that one. And it's a real thing. A lot of people are experiencing cannabis for the first time at weddings, and they're experiencing it being open and and consumed freely at people's private wedding events. They're seeing cannabis bars and gift bags and finding out ways to say to uh, uh, hosts of weddings, couples, You know, if you've got a mixed audience coming to your wedding, maybe you do the cannabis gift bags for the people who you know consume and are pro-cannabis, and you provide information about cannabis and what people might experience at the wedding, if you're including it in your wedding, to folks who aren't as familiar with cannabis, so that you're taking care of their comfort levels as well and helping to explain the situation to them so that they can feel comfortable and confident. Confident and like they aren't going to feel pressured. What I'm hearing is a real focus on the social impacts here, that you're really using that relationship window that is the frame around so much of our etiquette advice to look at this particular topic. Absolutely. Now, for me, one of the really fun things to dive into as well was to actually, I I found it really important to include a primer on the plant itself, on the language people use to describe it, on the many products, on the science behind cannabis and how it impacts the human body. Because let me tell you something, on the research for this book... What was surprising. I know. What was surprising? I went from people talking about cannabis as good or bad to people talking about THC and CBD, the two main cannabinoids that we're familiar with, and terpenes, which are found in all plants that help us as human beings know whether we want to interact with this particular plant. They're a huge part of cannabis and and how it's consumed and how it affects the human body. And we even went into the different methods of consumption and how they can impact your body and why they impact it differently. A lot of people have heard, boy, edibles will really, you know, knock you out. They'll have such an impact. There's a scientific reason for that. And when you understand that, you can make better educated choices for yourself. And I really, I loved that educating people about it more gives them the freedom to make choices that are going to be good choices for them. 
And then, of course, the two most fun chapters of the book that that cannabis consumers, I think, are really going to have fun with are the etiquette of sessions. Because when you get together and you consume cannabis with others, it's often called a session. And there are many classic pieces of etiquette. Many people will be familiar with the term puff, puff, pass or bogarting. There's also lawn mowing bowls and the right of who gets the first hit. Um, there are tons of different little etiquettes that come just with consuming with others that you want to be aware of. And then there's a chapter on the specific methods of consumption and the etiquette associated with it. And gosh, guys, it goes into so many different areas and aspects of of sharing and consuming items together. And it's delicious and fun. It's got something for the can of curious. It's got something for the experienced consumer. And I'm really hoping that people love each chapter of the book. I've had a chance to hold the book. It's it's a really good looking book. It's so well designed. And thank you so much for saying that, cuz, because this book was I I have to thank Ten Speed Press a hundred percent for how I want to jump in. Ten Speed Press is a division of Random House. Yes, they're so... a division of Crown Publishing, which is a division of Random House, which is is partnered with Penguin. So we're we're looking at one of the largest publishers in the world, and it's really exciting to be partnered with them. And they really wanted to honor the Emily Post tradition in terms of appearance with this book. And you know how much I love the nineteen. 19- 22 edition with its gold leaf cover and it's so simple it's just the word etiquette in beautiful gold type and emily's name on it and that is basically the cover that we ended up with with this book it's higher etiquette in gold print with a little very subtle cannabis stick leaf on the bottom and the name and that's it and i know i'm supposed to be asking questions but i also I have to mention that i thought the illustrations were fantastic oh my gosh and i know you spent a lot of time working with the illustrator Sam to get that right Calda, he is a beautiful illustrator. It's a very mid-century modern feel. I was really excited that when my family picked up this book and saw it, they said, this is the way we want our books to look. And that just, that was an honor to have achieved that. So thank you, 10 Speed Press, for all the hard work. Lizzie Allen was the designer. Uh, Sam Calder was the illustrator. And and just, oh, the publisher did such a beautiful well, job And I'll this. just, again, point out from an observer perspective, you're being very appropriate and a good etiquette uh, practitioner in crediting those other people. I know you had a lot to do with that also. Thank you. Um, Let me move Yeah, on. yeah. Keep us going. Keep us I going. I want to ask you about the listener question that you mentioned in the intro. Oh, Raina had written in with a question because she went on a group vacation where they rented a house and they were in a state where cannabis is prohibited. And one of the members of the vacation brought it with him. And it was a concern for her because while she didn't mind the fact that he consumed it, she did mind wondering and having to wonder about whether or not it would impact their rental agreement. What would happen if it was if it was found or if the neighbors were bothered by it? And she also wanted to ensure that because this was a family vacation, that she wasn't going to be uncomfortable with the potential 
potential impact around her children or that she wasn't going to have to answer questions to her children about what this particular person was doing on vacation with them. And it was smack in the heart of cannabis etiquette, higher etiquette, and why this book is needed. And I actually asked Raina if she wouldn't mind if I called her to talk about it. And she was so gracious and she hopped on the phone with me. And, you know, she she told me her perspective on it. And I, I let her know my own perspective and connection to the plant. And she was so gracious with me. She treated me with absolute consideration, respect and honesty. And she wrote back to me after our conversation saying, thank you so much. You have broadened my perspective about what it means to consume cannabis and who the people who consume cannabis are. She said, I just, I was blown away that here's someone I listen to every single week that I would never expect is connected to this, actually is connected to it. And it helped to elevate, and she loved using the pun, my perspective about the people who might be wanting to engage with this and wanting to engage with it legally. And it made me feel like I could connect with that person I had been on vacation with in a more respectful manner. And my goodness, if that isn't exactly, exactly the impact I wanted this book to have, it it's not about getting people to love cannabis. It's not about changing whether or not it's right for you. It's about helping people to interact with each other in a positive way that's going to allow you to have a good time and not have this particular thing be an issue for you. So I've got to ask about what you got out of the conversation. I felt so respected and I felt so understood. I felt so not judged. It's been nerve wracking to think about what the greater Emily Post audience is going to think about us entering this topic because it is a controversial topic. And I'm hoping that it helps to ease some of that controversy so that people can have better interactions. And I I experienced that with Raina. I'm hoping Raina experiences that with the people in her life who do consume. It was it was a very exciting moment. So that's kind of a good lead in. In many ways, you've already addressed the question I was wanting to ask next, which is what do you hope the book will do for both consumers and non-consumers? You know, I say it in the dedication of this book, which reads... Oh, read it for us. Read yeah. it for us. <laughs> this book is dedicated to all the good people in the world who believe in consideration Oh, I get teary-eyed. I'm sorry. I know you've put a lot into this, cousin. Respect and honesty as life's guiding principles. The world is a better place because of you, whether you consume cannabis or not. What I really hope this book will do will help to destigmatize cannabis consumers so that consumers and non-consumers alike can have positive social interactions with one another. Well... My last question is going to be, how can people get this book? But before I ask it, I have to tell you how proud of you I am. I know this book has been a labor for you and a labor of love, that you have spent a lot of time trying to figure out an approach to this topic that represents Emily Post, the Emily Post tradition, both you and me well. And I think you've done a beautiful job. Thank you. That means so much to hear it. I have been so happy with how supportive the entire family has been about this project. 
And what I really want to communicate to our audience is that we are still the Emily Post you know and love. And rather than uh, for those of you that might be concerned that all of a sudden Emily Post is going to be the place of cannabis, I want you to uh, really think about it as Emily Post putting consideration, respect and honesty out into the world of cannabis culture. So for everybody who is now intrigued and interested how do you get this book? Oh, this book is available. It releases tomorrow. It releases on March 26th. And you can find it both uh, through Penguin Random House. You will find links on our website to it and in our newsletter and on our social media. And you can also buy it, of course, on Amazon. It is available. Again, the book is titled Higher Etiquette, A Guide to the World of Cannabis from Dispensaries to Dinner Parties. And I want to thank you all for your time and your attention and your willingness to be open and potentially embrace this topic. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have Elena, and her salute is a tearful one, but one many can relate to. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name's Elena. And I have an etiquette salute for my friend Faith. Earlier this week, I took my cat in, my youngest cat in, for a routine vet visit. She's aggressive and has always had to be sedated historically in the past. And something went horribly wrong this time, and she died five minutes after they began the procedure. And Faith came over that night. She stayed with me. She helped me do my dishes while I sobbed throughout the entire process, took me to a soul cycle class the next day where she said it would be a great place to cry in class, and I did, Um, and has just generally been an amazing support for me during this time, despite her own responsibilities. Um, And so I wanted to salute her for that and say thank you, Faith, so much for being a great example of a friend to me in this time of need. Elena, we were so sorry to hear about what you went through and also really glad that you decided to share with us what a support your friend Faith was. It sounds like she was incredible at this really difficult time. So often it's the case that it's when we're faced with difficulty that we also get to see the best in the people around us. And I appreciate your reminding us of that. Elena, as you know, my best friend is my dog, Benny, and it is such a comfort when friends are willing to step in and recognize just how impactful our furry friends and our furry loved ones are in our lives. And I'm so glad that you have someone in your life who recognizes that and can help you through this time. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share this show with your family, friends, and coworkers, especially on social media, you know, where you connect with more family, friends, and sometimes coworkers. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. 
please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.